when these boys and girls go to their classes, I want you to notice how beautiful and how well-dressed they are. That's one little one. She has on such a beautiful dress. Well, look at that. Uh, purple and yellow, I tell you. It, you would think it's Easter Sunday the way these children dress up. That says something about, uh, about their parents and their grandparents and how important church is. When we come to the Lord's house, uh, we want to come and do everything that we can to present ourselves before Him in a way that shows our respect and our love to Him. Uh, and so I appreciate, appreciate these children and the parents that faithfully bring them because these children, they're today's church, but they're tomorrow's leaders. And uh, we do our best. We only have them for a couple hours each week, but uh, hopefully in the home when you have them, uh, you will do your best to spend quality time with them in the Word. And uh, with sending them to a public school, they have them for 25, 30 hours a week. We don't even want to go there and think about what's going on. But uh, they're doing their best. Seventy percent of young people today, once they become dulled age, drop out of church. Uh, and you can be sure that uh, academia has done their best, secular academia, uh, to pull them away from the Lord. Well, here it is, almost 15 minutes before the hour. And I'm going to do my best to have you out no later than 12.30. So we need to get right down to the Word of God. We're in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going verse by verse through the book of Ephesians. And uh, this is such heavy uh, and weighty material. So we just don't want to rush through the blessings that we see here from chapter 1 in reference to God's blessings to us through the Godhead. The Godhead does not work independently of each other. They work together in bringing about you and bringing about to me our salvation. Last week we talked about the blessings that we have from our Heavenly Father. How that through our Heavenly Father He has chosen us. We said that we are chosen not based upon His his ability to predestinate the future and bring about what he predestinates, but we are chosen based upon his foreknowledge of what the future is, and based on the foreknowledge he predestinates. In other words, he looks into the future, he says, this is what's going to happen, and so I will plan accordingly. And that's why the Bible says, elect according to foreknowledge. That's why we read over in Romans chapter 8, for whom he foreknew he predestinated. So we don't want to get, we don't want to put the cart in front of the horse. And there are some people that do that, and we certainly don't want to do that. We, we understand that we are chosen, we are God's elect based on his foreknowledge. And that foreknowledge is because, as we saw last week, because you have trusted in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And because you have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, therefore God has put His program into your life. And we're talking about that right now as we get into what Jesus Christ has done. 
Uh, we are sinners. We were lost because of sin. We were sold into the slave market of sin because of Adam's transgression. And so Jesus Christ came into this world uh, to redeem us out of what we were sold into by the deception of the devil. Adam and Eve uh, believed the lie and uh, they partook of the forbidden fruit and man was plunged into sin. Later on, we'll get into Adam's understanding, and uh, we have their kind of an anti-type of the Lord Jesus Christ, because he understood what he was getting into, but Eve didn't. She was in deception. Adam wasn't. But Adam chose to go to that cursed tree because of his tremendous love for Eve. Jesus Christ also chose to go to that cursed tree because of his tremendous love for us. And so what Adam did in bringing the curse upon us by going to that tree, Jesus Christ removed that curse by going to that tree. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. And so as a result of what Jesus Christ has done, the Heavenly Father has adopted us as sons into his family. And so therefore we are accepted of God. But that acceptance is based upon you trusting Jesus as your Savior. And so as we get into our study this morning, we're going to look at verses 7 through 12 of Ephesians chapter 1. As we give reverence to the reading of God's holy word, I would like to ask you to stand. And we will read verse number 7 through verse number 12, and then I will also lead us in a word of prayer, and then you can be seated. And uh, we'll go down the joy bells of the blessings that we find from this passage of Scripture. In verse number 7, we read that as we continue on with the blessings that we have from the Father, now we move through the blessings of Jesus in whom we have redemption. And that redemption, notice, is through His blood. And through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. And this is according to the riches of His grace, wherein He had abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence. Prudence, by the way, there is in reference to giving us good judgment concerning what God has in store for us. Verse number 9, Having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to His good pleasure which He hath purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of His glory, who first trusted in Christ. Heavenly Father, bless our time together. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, now as you see, as we were reading through there, uh, there are some important blessings that pop out. First of all, we see the blessing of redemption. Secondly, the blessing of forgiveness. Thirdly, God has blessed us with understanding, and then the greatest of all of this is because of those blessings, 
through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have an inheritance. When we talk about the redemption that has been provided, again, we notice in verse number 7 that this redemption is through His blood. I want you to notice that. So, <clears throat> Paul is making it very clear that there had to be a price that must be paid so that we can have forgiveness of sins. And uh, we being born into this world as sinners, we are a slave to sin. And Jesus Christ came into the world to deliver us from the slave market of sin. What is interesting, during the time of the Roman Empire, uh, slavery was one of the major economies of the world at that time. In fact, during the, in the Roman Empire, there was as many as 60 million slaves. And uh, many of those slaves were slaves that were born into the household of uh, their masters. And uh, some of them were first and second and third generation slaves. Every now and then, uh, a master, out of his grace and out of his mercy, uh, would uh, set that slave free and allow him uh, to become free. He bought him, and so he had the privilege, uh, because he owned the slave, to either keep him as a slave or to release him as a slave. There were those that had lots of money, and they had the ability to buy slaves, and out of their mercy and grace, they would buy them so they could set them free. There were some that were allowed to buy their freedom. Paul was a slave that was able to buy his freedom. And he bought his citizenship as a citizen of Rome. So it came at a great cost to be set free. Jesus Christ looked into the world from the beginning of the foundation of this world and saw that because of man's transgressions that was going to take place and because we're all born into this world as sinners, therefore we all become slaves. Jesus Christ came into this world to set us free from the slavery of sin and to deliver us from the curse of sin by shedding His precious blood. That's why we read over in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 18 and 19, for as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation by the traditions of your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. So we see there that the word redemption there gives us the understanding that we were redeemed by someone buying us out of our slavery. And by buying us out of our slavery, we understand that sometimes there has to be a substitute that was provided. And that substitute could be money or it could be someone taking your place. Jesus Christ did not pay money to buy you out. He paid with his own blood. He became the substitute. So we believe in the substitutionary death of the Lord Jesus Christ that has redeemed us from our sins. And by that, we have been set free.
What is interesting is we find through the Word of God in Galatians chapter 3 and verse number 13, by His redemption, we have been set free from the curse of the law. For we understand, according to verse number 13 of Galatians chapter 3, that Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us, for as it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on the tree. So Paul then urges us not to go back to that which we have been delivered from, but to go to Jesus. So he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled with the yoke of bondage. In other words, I'm not going to maintain my salvation through the law. I maintain my salvation through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't go back to what has brought me under the curse to keep me from the curse. I go to the one that went to the tree and delivered me from the curse. I need to keep my eyes on Jesus. I need to keep trusting in Jesus. I need to understand it's not through the law that I'm made righteous. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ that I'm made righteous. For he who knew no sin became sin for Jim Nolan that Jim Nolan might be made the righteousness of God through him. Not through Moses, but through him, through the Lord Jesus Christ. But not only have I been delivered from the curse of the law, I've been delivered from the curse of this old fleshly body of mine. You see, <clears throat> I'm no longer alive to Jim Nolan. I'm dead to Jim Nolan. Through the Lord Jesus Christ, we understand over in the book of Romans, chapter 6, that when we were buried with Christ, we were raised to walk in newness of life. And so we are no longer under the bondage of this body. I have, through the Lord Jesus Christ, been set free to where I have the power to say no to sin. Something that's quite liberating when we can say no to sin. You see, there was a time in my life where I didn't think that I could say no to drugs and alcohol. I couldn't say no to all the things that this old flesh wanted. It just continually haunted me, and the enticements of the flesh continued to pull me down. That's why Paul said, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the curse of this body? But I thank God through the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, He is the one that gives us the freedom to where we can turn away from our sins and from our addictions as we turn to Christ. That's why Paul said in Galatians 3.20, I am crucified with Him, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. So every day... I need to understand I am set free by simply believing and yielding myself to what I understand through the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. But not only have I been set free from the flesh, I have been set free from the curse of this evil world. We read in Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 4, who gave himself for our sins that we might be he might deliver us from this present evil world. You see, this world is no longer my home. At one time, this was my home. I was a dweller of this world. I was a citizen of this world. But the moment I put my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
I am no longer a citizen of this world. I'm a citizen of the kingdom of God. I am now a stranger of this world. I am now a sojourner in this world. And my home is in heaven for which I look for my Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And God has given us that assurance. And so I don't no longer live for this world. I no longer love the things of this world. I love what God has promised me in a world that's much better than this world. And by the way, as much as they love this world, it's going to all be burned up anyway. But God has an everlasting kingdom that will never fade away. But God has also delivered us from the curse of the evil one. You see, I'm no longer under Satan's control. He is the prince and the power of this world. But Jesus Christ has delivered me from Satan. And God has given me the power and the desire to resist him. As I draw nigh to the Lord, then the devil continues to flee from me. And so I make my camp in God's camp. I make my home in the dwelling of those things that bring me and assure me that I'm in the presence of God. And the Bible says, as we draw nigh to God, the devil will flee from us. These are the blessings that the Lord Jesus Christ has set us free from. But even greater than that, He has forgiven us. Now that brings out a very important part. Not only did Christ come into the world to set us free from the curse, but He came into this world for the forgiveness of sin. You see, God could not, He, he, he does not arbitrarily just simply say, I forgive you. He has to make sure that there's a price paid so that he can forgive us. And there's no way that we can ever pay that price. See, the Bible says in Romans 6, verse number 23, that the wages of sin is death. And the Bible talks about that death as being an everlasting death. And death, by the way, is not termination. Death, as we understand, is separation from God in a place of everlasting punishment. And Jesus Christ came into this world and he paid there on that cross in six hours what would take you all of eternity to pay for. He went to that cross in six hours. He suffered your hell. He suffered my hell. He became the, the lamb that taketh away the sins of the world. You see, when John the Baptist was baptizing in the Jordan River there in the Gospel of John chapter 1, he saw Jesus coming down out of the wilderness of Judea, and he cried out, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. In order for Jesus Christ to do that, what did he have to do? Well, first of all, he had to take off his royal robe. He had to lay it aside. He had to take off his crown. He had to lay it aside. And Jesus Christ had to put on humility. He had to put on a linen robe. And he had to go to the cross and die in a very humble robe. But after Jesus Christ had finished what he come to do, he took off that humble robe and he put back on his royal robe. Now I want you to see something as we get little deeper in the forgiveness of sin. Take your Bible and look over to Leviticus chapter 16 with me for a moment. 
Uh, that's found, by the way, over in the Old Testament. In Leviticus chapter 16, God says in verse number 3, as he spoke to Aaron, he says, Come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. And he said to him that you shall put on holy linen coat and you shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh and you shall be girded with linen girdle and with linen mitre, that would be the turban, shall be at thy attire, and these are the holy garments, therefore, and they shall be washed his flesh in the water, and shall put them on, and he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats for a sin offering, and one ram for a burnt offering, and Aaron shall offer his bullocks, of our bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord, the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell, and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. Now we don't have time to read everything that's here, but notice in verse number 23, after everything is done, after the bullock is offered up, after the ram is offered up, and by the ram means an ewe lamb, so it is the goat that was offered up to be sacrificed. The second goat that is by lot was chosen to be set free. Aaron takes with both of his hands and he prays over that goat. All of his sins, all the sins of the nation of Israel, and then by the strong hand of a fit man, the goat is carried off into a wilderness where there are no humans that are occupying that part of the world, and the goat is turned loose to wander forever in the wilderness. And so when that is done, then Aaron takes off his linen garment, and he puts on his royal high priestly garment, and he then offers up the blood that was offered up in the Holy of Holies of the bullock and of the goat or of the lamb or whatever. He takes that blood after he puts on his holy garment and he comes out and there before the congregation he sprinkles them and he sprinkles the horns that are before the altar and he sprinkles everything outside before the congregation while he has on his royal garment. Now what is this a picture of? Take your Bible and look with me, if you would please, over to the Gospel of John, chapter 20. And notice when Jesus Christ was crucified on the cross, he had on linen, linen garment. 
And we read that when he went into the tomb and he rose the third day, he put off the linen garment. Notice in verse number 6, Then cometh Simon Peter, and lowing him, and following him, and went into the sepulchre, and what did he see? He saw linen clothes lie. And he saw that there was a napkin that was about his head, but the napkin was not where the rest of the linen clothes was. It was not lying with the linen clothes, but it was wrapped together in a place by itself. You see, it was customary in the Old Testament days when you had supper with people, if for some reason you had to get up and leave before the dinner was finished, but you were planning on returning, you would take your napkin, you would neatly fold it, and you would set it aside. That indicated that you were going to come back and finish this dinner with them. Jesus Christ, when He went to the cross, He put on linen clothes. Before He put on those linen clothes, He had to take off His royal clothes. He took those off in heaven. And he put on human flesh. He went to the cross with linen clothes. When he had finished the job, he took off the linen clothes. He went into heaven, but the job is still not finished. Not only did he apply the blood there upon the cross, but he had to go into heaven now, and he has to intercede on our behalf with his own blood. We find that over in Hebrews chapter 9 and Hebrews chapter 10. Without the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, there is no remission. And through His blood, He is never ceasing, always making atonement for our sins. Until He brings His enemy under His footstool. And when He brings His enemy under His footstool, He's coming again. Jesus Christ not only gives us that picture, but the forgiveness of sins that were prayed over the scapegoat that was sent off into the wilderness means that once our sins are removed, they're removed as far as the east is from the west, and God remembers them, God sees them no more. What a beautiful picture of what God has done for us. What's interesting, when we read in Leviathan, in Leviticus chapter 16, that there was no man that was allowed to go in there with Aaron the high priest to help him out. He had to make sure that he did exactly what God instructed him to do because if he didn't, God would kill him just like he killed his two sons. And so Aaron was very careful to obey and do exactly what God commanded him to do. Because that is a beautiful picture of what Jesus Christ has done. There's no way that you and I can help Him out. There's no way that we can enter into the courts or into the holy place or the holy of holies. We can only stand outside and trust that the high priest was able to do his job. And so when you and I put our trust in Jesus Christ, we're not trusting in ourselves We're completely trusting in what God has provided. And God has provided for us forgiveness of sin, but the forgiveness of sin comes at a great price. 
It comes at the price of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has taken our sins away as far as the east is from the west, and he remembers them no more. And what's even more exciting about that is we read in verses 8 through 10 that God has given us an understanding that we are now his children and God has something glorious for us. God has an eternal dispensation that we are going to enter into. God has made it very clear to us that his kingdom will come, his will will be done, and we will dwell with the Lord here on earth for a thousand years. And when that thousand years is over, we're going to go into an eternal kingdom where there is a builder of a city whose builder and maker is God, and that city will never fade away. It's the new Jerusalem. It's in heaven. It's built for us, and it's reserved for us. Jesus Christ said, I go to prepare you a place, and if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself. But in order for that city to be yours, you have to be a part of God's family because it's God's city for God's children, for his son, and for his children. And so that means that we have to be adopted into God's family. We must be a part of his inheritance. Now here's what I want you to see. If you think that's wonderful, the inheritance is even greater. Notice again in verse number 11 and 12, and I want you to look at this carefully. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in him. Well, what does that mean? Well, it means that first of all, that we have an inheritance according to what God has promised us to where we are now joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. What does it mean to be a joint heir with the Lord Jesus Christ? I want you to notice in Romans chapter 8. Take your Bible and learn there, turn there for just a moment. In Romans chapter 8, verse number 16 and 17, we're told that the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of what class? And if children, then what? Heirs of God, and then what? And joint heirs with Jesus Christ. Well, what does that mean? Well, that just simply means that God has placed us on the same level as His own Son. What that means is that I am now a son of God. And God, my heavenly Father, loves me just as much as he does his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. What else does it mean? That means that God has placed me on the same level. Whatever belongs to his son, it belongs to me now. He's going to share it all with me. And God wants me to praise him for it to the praise of his glory. You have no idea how blessed you are for your faith in Jesus Christ. For understanding that He's your Savior, that He has forgiven you of your sins, and now you're a son of God. But it even gets better. <laughs> Amen. It's reserved for you. 
Notice it says over in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 2 through 4, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience in the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace unto you, peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to His abundant mercy that hath begotten us again to a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth away, reserved in heaven for you. I like that. It has my name on it. We saw that over there in Revelation chapter 3. God has put my name in that city. God has put His name on me. God has given me the name of His Son. And I'm going to dwell with Him in that beautiful city forever. Reserved in heaven for me. I have reservations. You see, my reservation took place on April the 18th in 1969 when a preacher came and knocked at my door and he said, I come to tell you about heaven and I'd like to show you how you can be sure of heaven. I invited him in and he opened up the Bible and he showed me that I was a sinner and I put my faith in Jesus Christ and that Sunday evening I followed him in believer's baptism. You know what? The Word of God makes it very clear because I trusted in Christ and my faith was demonstrated by my obedience to Christ. God has written my name down in the Lamb's book of life. And I have a city reserved for me. Wow. What a wonderful inheritance. Let me just say in closing. That inheritance places everything under my feet. Wow. Not only has God said, hey, I want you to know that it's your city, but I'm going to place everything in that city under your feet. You said, well, where is that found in the Bible? Well, I'm glad you asked. I want you to notice over in Ephesians chapter, nine, or chapter 1, verses 19 and 23. We'll get there later on in our study, but I just want to briefly mention what is there. Notice in verse number 19 of Ephesians 1, what is the exceeding greatness of His power to us, Word, <laughs> who believe according to the workings of His mighty power, which He wrought in Christ, when He raised Him from the dead, set Him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above principalities, powers, and might, and dominions, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under His feet, and gave to Him the head over all things to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. What does that mean? Well, when we get over in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 30, it means that we're espoused unto the Lord Jesus Christ. That you and I, when we put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we enter into a marriage covenant with Him. Husbands, love your wives even as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. We read in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 30, where He says, For we are members of His body and of His flesh and of His bones. I speak of a great mystery 
I speak concerning Christ in the church. You see, when I married my wife, Carol, she took my name. I didn't take her name. She took my name. And by taking my name, whatever belongs to me now belongs to her. We call that community property. We are joint owners of the house that we have. Our vehicles are in both of our names. Our home, our property is in both of our names. Whenever we buy or sell something, we're both brought into the contract because of our marriage. If I was somehow wanting to break away from that relationship, she could sue me for half of everything I have. Jesus Christ will never divorce His church. Jesus Christ, when you put your faith in Him, He allowed you to enter into a covenant of marriage with Him that He established there upon the cross of Calvary. And Jesus Christ, because you're a part of His bride, has put everything that He has over to you as well. So we have a shared ownership with our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just say in closing, well, I would like to have a part of that. Well, then what do you must do? Well, that's the important part. We have to go back up and look at verse number 2 through 4 of 1 Peter to find out. First of all, we have to be obedient. We must understand that through the sprinkling of the blood and the obedience. You see, I, I can't get into this relationship unless I trust in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't trust in Jesus Christ by just simply being baptized. I can't trust in Jesus Christ by simply being a member of this church. I must understand that it was the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that was sprinkled there on Calvary's tree and then taken into heaven and sprinkled over everything that's in heaven to prepare a place for me. The Bible says that we are saved through His blood. We must understand that the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, today they want to take it out of everything. Today they don't want it in there. It's offensive to so many people. They want the blood out of our songs. They want the blood out of the Bible. They've come up with different translations that have taken the blood out of the Bible. But you see, what can save me from my sins? Nothing but the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. That life had to be poured out. The Bible says that there is no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, then the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ cleanseth us from every sin. Are you trusting in His death? Are you trusting in His burial? Are you trusting in His resurrection? Do you understand that Christ had to go and pour out His blood without the precious shedding of blood? You cannot be purged from your sins. It was by His precious blood that is more precious than gold or silver. That is what buys your redemption. Amen. So we have to believe that Jesus Christ not only died, but He was raised. Notice the word resurrection there. The Bible says in 1 Peter, In His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection. See, I have to believe that not only did He shed His blood for my sins, but I must believe that by His resurrection I have justification of my sins. 
You say, oh, well, I don't know if I can go that far. I have a hard time with the virgin birth and have a hard time with the resurrection, but I do believe he died for my sins. Well, any man can die for your sins. You see, we have a lot of religiosity out there that wants to take away the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't believe in his virgin birth. Oh, yeah, they're out there. They're the cemeteries. The cemeteries that teach, they call them seminaries, but they're more like cemeteries because they teach death. They don't teach the truth, and they're out there. We have churches out there today. Uh, they've gone the way of the world. We have today a gospel that's been watered down, a gospel message that's been completely omitted from what the truth really says about the gospel, and people are trusting in something that is not real to save them. You see, you have to believe that Jesus Christ went to the cross and shed his blood and then believed that he bodily rose from the grave. That he did not raise up by spirit, he raised up by body, soul, and spirit. There is a man in heaven, the man is Christ Jesus. God has prepared a body. We read that over there in Hebrews chapter 10. Without a body there cannot be an offering. But that body has been raised up and the man, Christ Jesus, had entered in through the veil and there he's in heaven, a resurrected Savior, ascended into heaven to make an atonement for our sins. And one day, because he is the first man to enter into heaven, the forerunner, other men are going to enter in, but they must trust in Jesus, the man Christ. Amen, I like that. And then the third thing is, you have to make the reservation. You've got to call upon him. You see, it's very easy. I notice when I uh, <clears throat> travel, if I don't make a reservation, sometimes I don't get into a motel room. We'll go driving up, you know, we've been driving all day long. It's 11 o'clock at night, and we pulled into a place, maybe like Grants Pass, Oregon, and all the lights have no vacancy, no vacancy, no vacancy, no vacancy. We find the one that says they have vacancy, and we pull up, and, and uh, yeah, we're looking for a room. Uh, did you make reservations? No. I'm sorry, I forgot to turn the light off. No vacancy. You see, you can better make sure that you make reservations. You're not going to get there. See, there's one place that does not need reservations. It's called hell. Hell needs no reservation. Jesus Christ come to deliver you from that place that you have reservations. To give you a much greater upgrade. <laughs> to bring you into his glorious kingdom, but you have to make reservation. Amen. Do you have reservations in heaven? You see, it's very simple. The Bible says all we need to do is just call. There's an 800 number, but this number is not an 800 number. It's a 333 number. Jeremiah 333. Call upon me and I will answer thee. You have to call upon the name of the Lord. Romans 10, verse number 13, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, it's easy to call upon the name of the Lord. Believe, number one, that he died for your sins. Number two, believe that he bodily rose from the grave. Number three, call upon him and ask him to save you from your sins. 
and he will do that. You say, well, that sounds too simple. It's got to be more than that. Well, that's what the devil wants you to believe. It is so simple that little children understand it. Why can't we not understand it? With every head bowed.